Welcome to another edition of the Coffee Cast with Cation and Ruben, powered by Behind the Racket. Mike Cation in Tiburon, California. No Ruben in Minneapolis or St. Paul. Eh, it's all the same. It's no, it's city. really not. It's they're they're different communities. Different communities. We're actually right outside of it. My girlfriend and I. She goes to veterinary school, but I just say the Twin Cities. I mean, I guess I'm offending people when I say I don't think it matters, but. It, there's a, there's different cultural identities from city to city. I, having lived in Champaign-Urbana all my life, if I lived in Urbana, I was a hippie. If I was in Champaign, I was a, a business-loving conservative. It's very different in, say, Champaign-Urbana. I don't know Minneapolis-St. Paul nearly as well as I do Champaign-Urbana. Champaign-Urbana? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how is this week off? For you, a week off as well last week in Columbus. How, how's the week off treating you? Yeah, I mean, you know, after the Open, going straight to New Haven and then to carry with the 48 draws not being seen in New Haven. There's a lot of matches. Uh, I played some definitely some good tennis, but the body and mind definitely took a beating. And, you know, when, when I was about to retire a few months ago, I, I made a promise to myself that I would make sure I'm in the right state of mind, my body's in the right, you know, capacity to compete at the best level, you know, and, and I wanted to do, even with doing a little bit better, I didn't want to do a disservice to myself and go against that word. So I made sure to, you know, take a few weeks off and Columbus is not one of my favorite weeks of the year. And so taking that week off, I'm very upset with, um, missing Tiburon. That's always, you know, a fun tournament. I know you enjoy being there, but very much with the problem of, you know, having that in between week between Tiburon and Fairfield, which with uh, Stockton leaving, it's been a struggle scheduling, I know, for a lot of players. So, uh, you know, with an extra week off than I really wanted to have. But again, I think it's uh, super important to take time. And I still have about four or five tournaments for the rest of the year. I am on a I've hit this point now at the end of September. I am on a full campaign. We need to find a way to stop these 48 draws. Yeah, I think it is just absolutely causing more and more injury fatigue. If it's not injury, it is fatigue, both physically and mentally, Um, either playing six matches to win a tournament or five in potentially five straight days. It's just not doing players any favors in terms of their long term prognosis. No, not not at all. And I could tell you this is my first time and, you know, getting that far being unseated and playing in the semis against uh, Tommy and I'm not taking anything away from him at all, but you know, I was tired. My body was definitely feeling it. Um, you know, had a lot to do with the other things, you know, at that tournament, but I was definitely the body took a beating and I, I, the quarterfinals just seems so far away yeah. when you're in a 48 draw. I think that's the issue. You know, once it was two matches and you're in it, you know, then you're in the quarters after two matches. Okay. But three matches now you're in the quarters. I think it's just a little too much for a, uh, everyday challenger. Tommy Paul, you mentioned him. He is supposed to be the guest for us here tonight. Unfortunately, we could not make schedules work today to get it done. Um, so he will be a part of our podcast at some point during this week while he and I are both in Tiburon. But I was really excited to to have this man uh, on our podcast here today, something we recorded earlier. It was with Jackson Withrow, quarterfinalist a couple weeks ago at the U.S. Open. Ha- also is coming off of a championship in Columbus last week, playing with Martin Redlicky. Um, and we wanted to talk a little bit about the double side, didn't we, Noah? Yeah, I don't think a lot of people have a true understanding of what goes in to the tour on the double side. I mean, everybody talks about the issues on the single side, but to make a living and to be, <laughs> to have the mental, you know, capabilities to go week in, week out with all 
the issues that doubles di- doubles guys deal with that singles guys don't. You'll learn a lot from Jackson, and and this is a guy who I've known for a while now. Super laid back, really nice, intelligent, and you know always have a good time with the guy. I mean, he knows a lot about the sport, and you know I've 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 one of my better friends on tour, so I think this is a really informative talk because again, I don't think anybody has a true understanding of you know what it takes to play doubles. Certainly our treat to be joined by Jackson Withrow, now a two-time champion of the Columbus Challenger. Um, and I really, I think that's pretty much the highlight of your life, your career. Easily. Congratulations. Easily. Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. I mean, just visiting Columbus is the highlight of anybody's. I think so. I mean, I've, I've definitely spent my, uh, my fair share of time in Columbus from college tennis and uh, didn't have too many uh, good results there. Um, but uh, the pro, pro tours definitely helped me out there in that aspect and gotten a couple of titles. Um, talk about your decision to go pro solely as a double specialist. I think the, the, the real tournament, the yeah. first opportunity was Winnetka a couple of years ago. Yep. I believe you were playing with Alex Lawson. Yep. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, but that, that decision just to go pro solely as a double special. Yeah, um, I mean, I started... I always felt like I was a little bit, uh, a little bit better on the double side. I mean, I played one my entire career in college. Um, the biggest decision was, you know, at the end of my college, I ended up having uh, four wrist surgeries and um, kind of changed my outlook of what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I was thinking of not even playing tennis in the, in the beginning. Um, I tried getting a job straight out of college and kind of started wanting to look for your nine to five job and um, wasn't getting too many callbacks on that end and. Decided to go play tennis a little bit. Alex and I had talked through some of the summer and just like, hey, you want to see if we can pair up? Maybe the USCA can help us out. We both had great results from the NCAA tournament. Um, and they gave us a chance at Winneka and we ended up making a pretty good run. And made semis there. Lost to uh, JP and Stefan and kind of kind of jump-started us a little bit. We didn't have to really um, grind through the futures as, as quickly as we thought we'd have to. And then obviously I played futures through the rest of that year, but um, it was definitely a good uh, pick me up and jump starter to kind of get the career going. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people truly understand just how difficult the world of doubles is. I mean, you talk about it all the time. People are like, oh, it's not great for singles. Tennis is not in the place it needs to be. But nobody has any understanding of what you guys deal with. I mean, whether it's the politics of finding a partner whether it's you know the cutoffs can you just kind of in a short little you know brief discussion of you know how difficult is it how do you sign up for tournaments how do you pick a partner just go into that world a little bit because I don't think anybody has an understanding no and and, and to be fair I don't um, you know I, I don't think I don't think anyone really has a has a way of doing it the right way because every week something changes um, cuts are changing you're constantly trying to figure out, um, you know, the best possible solution that you can have to make sure you're doing well that week. Um, but I mean, for me, finding a partner is just someone that I can kind of gel with on and off the court with. Um, it's not necessarily so much from a tennis aspect as it is from, you know, uh, kind of getting along. Um, I, I would like to, you know, at least spend time with a guy that I'm going to at least enjoy being around for the whole week or if not longer. Um, but uh, it was crazy. I mean, this year U.S. Open, you know, I had a great run there, and then I was going to play the Carry Challenger, and I couldn't find a partner. And um, you know, it was just—it was pretty crazy to me that you know the position that I was in, just to kind of not be able to be set up, and and probably a little bit on my fault for not being prepared. But um, I mean, doubles is constantly changing, and there's never a, 
<laughs> never a uh, dull moment, that's for sure. It's one thing at the ATP level in terms of just the guarantees of you, you have the, the rankings posted so you know a little bit more of when you're going to get in when you're not. Explain how it works at the challenger level for doubles. Yeah, challenger level, it's everything's on site. So once you get to that tournament, um, Sunday at noon is the deadline. And uh, if, if you're on that 13 to 14 spot range on the list, um, you're starting to get a little a little tight and a little hesitant <laughs> about not being in it. And so you start trying to switch partners and giving yourself a little bit higher of a team ranking um, that will get you in. But um, I mean, the nice thing with ATP is obviously you have two weeks in advance to know um, if you're doing an on-site sign-in, it's that Friday before, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, yeah, the Challenger Tour is just a little bit, a little bit tougher. Um, and I think the Futures is a Monday sign-in, so it's still on the same way that Challengers do it. But uh, yeah, that noon deadline is pretty, pretty brutal. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's insane that like we'll we'll be at a tournament and I'll get text messages from guys, doubles guys asking me if I'm playing. And in the beginning I was like, "Wait, do you want to play with me?" and it's not the reason. No. They're trying to figure <laughs> out what the cut is going to yep. be. And you know, or they're using you, you know? I mean, they're just wanting to use your name just to get in and they see your ranking and it helps them. I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, you can, you know, prepare for, you know, the week ahead. You get there and you know, four singles guys ahead just decide to pop on the doubles court. Exactly. Yeah. And there you go. And then you lose you lose a week right there, and it happens so quickly. And I, you know, to think that this is your livelihood that you can't even plan ahead at all in the Challenger Tour, which is you know supposed to be the you know step to get to the ATP right. level, and you know there, there's just no winning for you guys. No, it, it's it's pretty tough. Um, I mean, I'm not a huge overall world travel. I did a little bit last year, but um, my first year traveling to China. Um, I went with Austin Krychek, and we were playing uh, the Aning Challenger and uh, ended up going all the way over there, first time out of the country, and uh, didn't get in. And it was, <laughs> it was incredible because we had saw the cut last year. It was, you know, 1,000 to 1,100. And Austin and I were combined 400 at the time, so we are like, all right, we should be fine, should be good. Let's go and do four or five weeks in Asia. And um, we get over to Anning and uh, we don't get in. So it was a very, uh, very big culture shock for me, definitely going over all the way to China um, and not getting in the first <laughs> week. But, um, you know, ended up, uh, you know, having a good learning experience from it for sure. How many times has that happened to you where you've gone, signed in, and not had the opportunity to play? Uh, it's only happened to me twice. Okay. So the Anning and then actually this past, uh, this past year in uh, Sarasota. And that's mostly due to the fact that your your ranking has been good enough most of the time, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate enough not to really have to worry about that line. Um, you know, and, and I think it's, as doubles guys, I think you do have to take a couple of risks and, and go and sign in and see if you're going to get in because, you know, if the cut ends up being lower than what you thought and you're not there and you don't sign, you kind of feel like you really missed an opportunity. Um, but it's more if you can do it um, from a financial standpoint and make – make the uh, trip out to you know try that risk then yeah. it's worth it for sure and I think we have to discuss the 10 point tiebreakers god <laughs> in my very short period of time playing doubles it's insane I mean it's I mean it's we're talking about one two points here and there and that's the match I mean in, you know a lot of the times where I mean when I was playing challengers I was like can we just play a single 10 point tiebreaker because it feel I felt like I was going 
to third, I don't know, 80% of the time. Yep. And then it comes to one, two points. You know, somebody rips a return or gets, you know, a shank lob winner or something. And you're like, that's it. Yeah, it really is. I mean, yeah, it's um, I mean, it's yeah. pretty, pretty incredible. Um, you know, we always talk about you can play one good set and one good tiebreaker and you win the match. I mean, you don't even really necessarily need to be locked in for the whole time. Um, obviously, you want to be locked in and win in straight sets so you don't have to deal with the stress of a 10-point tiebreaker. But um, it's it's a different type of stress that, I mean, personally for me, that I don't, I don't think a lot of singles guys feel um, unless you're in like a third set, six-all tiebreaker. Um, but uh, it's just a different level of pressure because, like you said, there's the unknown of not knowing what's going to happen in that breaker. And there's so many, uh, I feel like, momentum swings. You know, you can go up early, a mini break, and then be down a huge mini break. Um, it's just stuff like that that can really just, I don't know, pick at your brain a little bit. And on top of it, I imagine just the, the fact that you're going to be playing, you can play so well. Um, and, and then you can have some losing streaks that go along with that because of the fact that maybe you're just one or two points away from week to week, especially if you're rotating different partners. Yeah, right? 100%. And that's how I kind of felt like my year was last year. I mean, I felt I had a great start, great base, and um, I was losing a lot of three-setters the rest of the year, and I feel like it's it, it definitely does some damage on your confidence because you feel like you're playing well, you're just not going over the hump and not, not getting the job done. Yeah, kind of going back to it, how difficult, especially at you know the challenger where you're going to try to break into the ATP consistently, how difficult is it to find that consistent partner? I mean, that's obviously the dream, to find someone that you can go up the levels with, play consistently, so you don't have to worry about, hey, man, sorry, I found somebody else. Like, that's got to be the worst words in the world to hear. I mean, have you had, I mean, obviously, you've played, you know, a decent amount with Jack, um, you know, that's obviously some of your better results, but, you know, have you had a consistent partner at other levels and, and how tough is it to keep it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, when I started my second year, um, you know, Austin Krychek and I kind of made the commitment to one another that, you know, we were going to play a whole schedule um, and really and really start uh, kind of going after it together. And um, obviously he's doing incredible right now and, and crushing it. Um, but the both of the, our starts were, he was a little bit higher at the time and, you know, we had talked about obviously playing and um, once we did, it was, it's just so much easier because um, you start getting into the flow of how that guy's going to play, where his tendencies are. And, um, you know, my best results were with Austin, honestly. I mean, we won, I'd say, four or five challengers together um, within that year. We ended up making second round of the U.S. Open and playing really well there. Um, and then I had one good tournament with Jack and Del Rey and, um, it obviously changed my ranking a lot and you know I still kind of go back on it a little bit if, if it was the right decision to go play some of the some of the tour events and some of the uh, Grand Slams because um, it ended up splitting Austin and I and um, it was more of my decision wanting to kind of go play the French and Wimby it was my going to be my first time but um, long run wise I think it may have been a better decision to kind of stick with Austin um, but uh, my ranking at the time was so much higher and like you said it's kind of cutthroat um, when you when you go to a guy and ask uh, ask him if it's okay to if you go do something else when you know you've been committed to him for so long, so it sounds like you have some real regret about that. Especially as I mean, you're playing here with with I believe with Alex Lawson again. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, no disrespect to Alex. No. I mean, I disrespect him enough as it is. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's 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 a big drop off in rankings at least in, in terms of the points between Lawson and and Krejcik. It is. I mean, but I mean, I'm not even looking at it from you know a player perspective. I think you know with Austin and I, we've had our you know discussion about it, and 
you know, me going through it the first time, I feel like, uh, you know, people are are wanting to play the higher tournaments. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, finding a consistent partner is tough because you're wanting to find somebody that you can get you in yeah. to, uh, you know, to a higher level tournament, which is kind of tough because, you know, if, if your partner's lower ranked than you, it's almost like you're trying to cheat on him a little yeah. bit, you know, like a, <laughs> like a new girlfriend or something. But, um, and that's what doubles is. I, I feel like doubles is sometimes bad breakups and, you know, it can be awkward a little bit with yeah. some guys on the tour. And, um, you know, fortunately for Austin and I, you know, we're still really good friends and, um, you know, I didn't think it was, uh, as bad of a breakup, but um, you know we we played really well together, and uh, I don't know maybe somewhere down the road we can play again. But I mean, we talk about it in singles all the time. I mean, the difference in levels from God from 250 to 150 and 150 to 50 in the world is really not that much of a difference. I mean, it's just consistency. It's just you know mentality, and you know you had a great result at the Open. You quartered, and not to bring up a sore topic, you were points away from getting to the semis. So, I mean, is it just a matter of getting into the tournaments at that level? I mean, what is the difference in levels? I mean, because obviously you could play at that level. You're one of the best doubles players in the world when you're playing your best. So what does it mean to get to 40 in the world, to get to 20 in the world? I think you nailed it right on the head. I mean, consistency is the biggest thing. And, and to have those results when it, when it matters. Um, you know, you can do well in challengers and, and can kind of clean up there. But um, once you get the opportunity, it's not really wasting that opportunity. Um, you know, fortunately for me, obviously, when I was playing with Jack this year in New York, um, his ranking, his protected ranking is two, and mine was 120. <laughs> so um, I wouldn't have even been in, you know, the U.S. Open if it wasn't for him. Um, and, uh, you know, to be able to do what we did and, like you said, have an opportunity to even make semis was pretty incredible. But um, it's... Uh, it's a very fine margin um, and I think it's just making the most of when you get there and a lot of guys have done that if you you know use examples like uh, Ben McLaughlin um, you know who ended up winning a 500 as a wild card with Uchiyama in Tokyo and um, you know that really that really made a, a huge impact on his career and now he's been sustained top 40 top 30 in the world so I have a question I've always wanted to ask somebody uh -oh. in the doubles world here we go so I've played a, a few doubles tournaments at this point. I've done well at a decent amount. But we're laughing. It's, you know, whether it's Darian King and I, Ty and I, obviously there's a different type of pressure for us. You know, we're singles guys. Doubles is, you know, paycheck, you know, practice a little bit. And we're laughing. And I see the doubles guys on the other side of the court, and they're like, these assholes. Are you you got to be fucking kidding me. I mean, you're laughing. This is my livelihood. And I can see it. Like, how much does it affect you? to know that the guys on the other side, like if they lose first round 0-0, it may not affect their career that much. I mean, is this something you think about? Um, is it tough to play with a singles player especially? Um, it, that's, I mean, it's tough from, from my end because I kind of view it as like, hey, I mean, if you guys want to go out and get beat um, and, and have fun doing it, don't, I don't mind taking the extra cash. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's definitely tough for guys that aren't getting in. Um, from doubles aspects that, you know, see singles guys getting in and not really caring too much. Um, I think it would be tough, you know, to, to see that as a as a guy maybe not getting into a tournament. Um, and you kind of see that in some of the 250 levels, you know, from where my position is. You know, I see a couple of singles guys signing in that I know don't care 
necessarily about doubles, but they're doing it for either the, the cash grab that week or, or what it is. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think it takes pressure off of the hmm. singles. I'm, I'm, I'm almost, a, you know, the guys that are winning matches, the singles guys, because they're just having fun. Yeah, exactly. And they have no pressure. And that, that's got to be. Yeah, just but I mean, to be. As hell. It is, but I mean, to be fair, I mean, obviously, like, everyone kind of views the singles players as a little bit better overall tennis players. And um, I mean, I think more singles guys should play doubles, as I'm probably not a big advocate for, for doubles guys, but. Um, I mean, I, I preach to Jack about playing doubles just because I think it's great practice. I mean, I think it's great reps for him to kind of see returns, to see to keep practicing his serve. Because um, I don't know about you, but I mean, a lot of the singles guys, you know, at least I talk to, are, you know, they don't like going out after a match and, and practicing or, you know, even playing a doubles match. But it's something that can kind of keep your practice time down and just going out and kind of lightly doing something fun and, and play a match instead of practicing, you know, the same stuff for an hour, hour and a half a day. Well, Noah doesn't practice anything around. Like, True. if it has to do with doubles, there's no even thought process. No, of, no, no. I mean, he doesn't even take that seriously. So I think that's pretty clear. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, but enough about him. We've <laughs> talked a lot about um, financials, Noah and I have, in, in terms of what, um, where that level is, that cutoff is for being financially stable for what it is for singles players and kind of that 150-ish you're making, you're breaking even on the singles side. What is it for, for doubles in terms of having financial stability? I'd say anywhere 80 and under um, mm -hmm. or 80 or higher. I think, um, you know, I've, I think it's tougher for me to say. I've, I've had some good results. Um, you know, and slams and stuff that have kind of helped me financially. Yeah. Um, so the discrepancy between the, the 250s and slams are a little bit different. But um, I think 80, 80 and higher, I think you start at least, uh, you know, making a living. Um, I think 50 and higher is definitely where you're, you're feeling comfortable. Um, you know, you don't feel like it's, uh, it's necessarily just like a minimum wage yeah. type job. <laughs> um, but um, I would, yeah, I would say anywhere from that, you know, 60 to 80 range and up is, is probably going to be where you're feeling pretty good financially. Yeah, I mean, Ruan was like one of the first guys I had as a doubles player on behind the racket. And his was about, you know, he was in China and he wasn't that, you know, low ranked and he couldn't get out of China because he didn't have enough money. So there is definitely a discrepancy between doubles players and singles players. Like when singles guys, you know, can't make money, doubles guys are laughing at them like, wait, we have to be... 60 in the world to make money right. so I don't know what you're complaining about right yeah and I, I think um, you know it's, it's a little tough when you look at the singles and, and doubles you know pay gap but at the same time I'm I'm a huge advocate on you know seeing the value of the entertainment value of who's getting what um, you know I think I think both should be higher honestly I think singles should be higher and I think doubles should be higher um, than what it is and, and we can we could go on all day about what we think it should be but <laughs> Um, you know, obviously there's, there's stuff in the works that are trying to happen and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully things can, can change a little bit and help the dubs guy out. But I mean, ATP is doing a great job, I think, with, you know, certain stuff in terms of hospitality providing now, and that really helps out the doubles guys and, and some of these travel grants as well. So, um, people might not know you, you've mentioned Jack Sock quite a bit here through this, this broadcast. People might not know why the two of you are playing together. Um, I, I, 
it, if if you don't know the backstory of the two of you, it just looks kind of odd to it see does. Jack Sock, number yeah. two in the world, playing with a guy 120. So what what is that backstory between you and Jack? Yeah, um, grew up with, grew up with each other. We've known each other since we were you know six or seven years old. Um, he's from Lincoln, and I'm from Omaha. It uh, <laughs> I get the I get the eyes quite a bit um, whenever <laughs> I'm walking around with him. Like I'm just kind of a a sidekick puppy, um, you know, which sometimes I am, um, you know, and I don't mind the don't mind the role, but um, you know, I think Jack and I do a great job of um, contemplating each other, you know, I guess evening each other out, and uh, you know, making sure that we're all, you know, set up and square. But um, I feel like Jack and I have gotten really, really close, you know, since I started playing pro tennis. Yeah, um, and I think it's something that helps him just as much as me. Um, you know, I have a guy out there that I really want to really want to help and um, you know help further his career and then he's also there you know trying to help me out whenever there's there's an opportunity so just an FYI people weren't looking at you because of the relationship it was that awful faux hawk you had at the <laughs> open <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that uh, I, you were actually embarrassed of I have to be completely honest I remember in the locker room you're like why do you have a hat on and you didn't want to show it but then with that the bandana and everything, yep. and the headband. Yeah, it was. It was definitely. Uh, it was a big, out on show at the quarters. It was a big, uh, big power play for sure. Um, Super no, aerodynamic. I, uh, I ended up starting it in Atlanta. Um, you know, with Jack and kind of going headband style, and and more for you know back to your point of that loose atmosphere with the singles mm -hmm. guy, um, and just kind of having some fun, doing something different, and uh, I ended up having a great result there. Made semis, and I thought. Uh, you know, might as well keep it for keep it for New York and um, see what happens. And it ended up going out all right. So, do you? Um, how do I put this? Uh, do you, Do you feel that? I, I know you pretty well. You're very quiet. You're very subdued. Jack obviously has a different reputation than than you do. Um, how, how do those two styles contrast? Are you a little bit more? Um, rambunctious behind the scenes because uh, I know you also I mean that means you're playing basketball with Jack and Nick and and, yeah. and that whole crew yeah um, I don't know I mean I'm more of the like you said kind of behind the scenes type guy um, you know there's a lot of stuff that that goes on that a lot of people don't know about and um, you know I I just try and make sure that they're all set up I mean my my main focus when it comes to them is you know I obviously Jack is a brother um, and it's more of a caring feeling that I have for him and he's very uh, you know social media present um, I'm not so much but uh, those guys I mean they they're they're seen as icons and figures of the sport and their their games are <laughs> incredibly flashy and um, entertaining to watch so for me I just I. Uh, I kind of piggyback off that and, you know, get to have some great experiences that they've brought me into, which yeah. has been incredible. But um, at the same time, it's, uh, I don't mind being the guy in the background. I don't really <laughs> like being in the spotlight too much. All right. So in that vein, though, and, and I ha actually have to go because I've got a broadcast a tennis match in less than half an hour now. Perfect. Uh, y we met. Can't wait to watch. Yeah, no, it's going to be great. Uh, Noah brought up the hair in New York. Um, we are in Tiburon, California. And if I remember correctly, last year you came in with the Canadian tuxedo that you and uh, Peter Polanski, I believe it was the housing that you guys had. Correct. Um, 
So what is it with these questionable fashion choices for a man from, uh, you know, from Nebraska and, and I think takes pride in being from Texas as well? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I've been trying to uh, kind of up my fashionista side. Um, and, and with a Canadian tuxedo. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I had uh, I had the je- <laughs> Yeah, that's only going up. <laughs> I had the I had the jean jacket last year and as according to Chris Eubanks, mm-hmm. I will quote him on this, he said that is so much drip. And yes. I still have yet to find the definition of drip. Uh-huh. But um I uh I'd like to think that meant a good thing. Okay. Um and uh I've got some blue light glasses now that are a fashion statement. Good. Um so trying to get on Noah's side with uh, with a little bit of the glasses look, but yeah. um, other, they're fake. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mine are mine are fake. Um, I uh, you know trying to pick up a little bit on what some people are doing and copying them, but yet trying to make it my own style. <laughs> uh, and so the the only question that matters though is when we're playing doubles together. Are, are you ready though? Bro, I I don't know. I mean, I I'm pretty sure I've dropped the question to you two or three times, and. You. I want a title without hitting a volley. I just want you that to That is know. true. And I I think you the, you're the one that's been dodging. Um, so <laughs> let's let's figure out a schedule, figure out a time. That's it. Jackson, thank you. Yeah, really thank appreciate you guys. it. Appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. So Jackson Withrow is going to be playing doubles this week with Alex Lawson in Tiburon. We will, of course, have that on the USTA Pro Circuit live stream through the week. Noah Rubin, however, um, he and I, as we're taping this, uh, once again is shirtless, as he was during our podcast with Jackson Withrow earlier this morning as well. And I I wonder, uh, let's see, it's been about... But you asked... Hold on. Hey, I'm not... 10 hours since we recorded uh, this morning. Have you put on a shirt in those 10 hours at any point? Have I put on a shirt in the 10 hours? Okay, we don't have to talk about this. It's irrelevant, okay? It's irrelevant. No, it's it's rather relevant. But you also asked for this. I asked for no pants. Ah, no pants. See... Tomato, tomato. We always get that mixed up. Again, there's a big difference between (laughs) shirt and pants, Noah. These are, these are little things that you should know by the time you're four years old. Well, I'm here with my girlfriend, and she's the moneymaker. You know, she's the one doing it all. She's going to be a doctor, so I'm not the one, you know, making the money, as we know. So you're marrying up. You knew that before, how much money yeah, she made, I though. <laughs> I know. That's true. That's true. I also know several vets who are close friends of mine who would, you know, would say that it takes a while to marry up in, in that particular field. So uh, yes. God bless. Good luck. Yes. So Tommy Paul is going to be joining us on the podcast next Monday. As always, you can join the conversation at NoahRubin33, at Mike C. Tennis. And I'd love to hear from some folks as, as I'm in Tiburon. We're on the West Coast out here. It is the perfect lifestyle. Uh, you know, make me feel comfortable as I'm, I'm broadcasting some fantastic tennis. Noah's going to just be shirtless in Minneapolis because that's the place to do it, clearly. Um, but it's going to be a lot of fun in Tiburon. I always have some really good drama, especially later in the week when things get a little bit colder and windier and, and nastier. I, I really have a fun time at Tiburon. No, I, I think they, they run a great tournament. And despite the sometimes what feels like freezing temperatures early in the morning, um, it's some perfect, perfect weather around two, three o'clock. And, uh, you know, I just want to say for everybody that's listening, you know, anybody following us, Please open up the conversation, whether it's, you know, against, for, positive, negative. We just want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your thoughts about tennis. You know, there's a lot that we don't go into, and there's a lot that we have to go into. And so for missing topics that you need or want us to talk about, please open up because, 
you know, we're, we're trying to help the sport. And, and sometimes I know we sound a little on the negative side, but that's because we love the sport so much. And there are some really great aspects. And of course, we're dedicating our life to the sport. So we really do love it. We're just trying to highlight some of the areas that need fixing. So um, and at the same time, Mike is super cynical and, you know, looks down upon everything else. So that's, you know, that's what wow. we're dealing with. The also the good benefit is if you go um, and interact with Noah on Instagram specifically, he'll send you shirtless pics. So, I mean, what more do you want in your life? But again, at Noah Rubin 33, at Mike C Tennis, <laughs> I won't show you uh, shirtless pics because God, nobody needs to see them. Until <laughs> next week when we do have Tommy Paul joining us for Noah, Mike Cation signing off. You've been listening to the Coffee Cast with Cation and Rubin, powered by Behind the Racket.